Welcome to Crowding the Garage. I'm Corey Culp. I'm Freddie Waff. Here we have our first episode of 2023. Yeah, man. It's January. And what is January, Corey? January is notorious for being, well, historically speaking, being a dumping ground for studios to drop their, I don't know what to do with this. To drop trial? <laughs> to drop, drop trial. Because we, we actually referenced this a little bit when we covered Underwater. and. Yeah. Because that movie had no business being dropped in January when it did. Was that 2020, right? Twenty, Yeah, it was 2020. Uh-huh. Yeah. And boy, it did not. It deserved a better fate. deserved a better fate. I think if that was a summer movie, that thing would have cleaned up. Because a lot of people found it once it hit um, home video. And people loved it. And deservedly so. You can listen to our episode. I'll uh, put it in the show notes because I don't recall which episode number it was. But anyway, yes, January is known for being a dumping ground. Not so much anymore. Uh, I found out an article recently. Because Black Panther came out in January two years ago and <laughs> well, made a bazillion dollars. I think now with the with how things are, with things going to streaming or yeah. day of. There is no dumping ground. There's no dumping right? ground anymore, right? Because it used to be August <laughs> and January. Right. And I think out of the, all the movies that we're covering, what is the most recent one year-wise? 1990 kind of like right on the point where like, we're like, we, this is really where we don't know what to do with movies. Yeah, absolutely. And, and But they had a place to go. They had a place to push it right away, which was VHS. And then, you know. Cable. Five or six, seven, eight years later, you've got the DVD market, which opened up the window drastically because with shelf life being what it is, the VHS versus how much, how many DVDs titles you could put on one shelf in the same spot was a huge boost for the business. But it became dumping ground for January for, for feature films. We also ended up seeing DVD becoming that place, becoming the dumping ground as opposed to dumping it in the theater. Why waste the money? Why, why waste the P&A at all and just go right to DVD, which is where it's going to go anyway? That definitely became a thing. And that's why the business relied on it so much. So when that window, that, you know, the DVD Blu-ray window went away or was drastically reduced, that's why we are at where we're at now. <laughs> yeah. So like our, our, our most current movie will be 2020 and then 2012 and then we go 1990 and 1981 right i don't even know that they called it a dumping ground in 1981 either i don't because <laughs> I, I don't think that movies were what they were like i don't know that well it's funny is that the, the old you know 1981 being the oldest one that one in particular that movie ended up being what are we we talked about that briefly in the ghost story episode i don't know if it made the final episode the final release but we talked about it being one of the the top 25 well top yeah. 10 top 10 horror movies that year and we're just gonna leave that hanging because as we discussed in that episode there's a lot of horror in 81 so you can kind of figure it out for yourself correct or just wait <laughs> we'll just wait till you know whenever <laughs> we talked about yeah. it might be next January, the way we're working. This time around, what's funny about this movie being a dumping ground movie is it, ironically, it did not do well in, in the box office, which is super funny. Also, here we are knowing that this movie spawned six sequels. Yeah, and a TV series. Have you talked to anybody that has seen, that saw the pilot that Kevin Bacon did? I have not, not yet. I guess we should introduce the movie now that you oh, said Kevin Bacon. Oh, Kevin Bacon in 1990. This isn't the Footloose sequel you didn't know anything about. No, this is 1990s Tremors. Directed by Ron Underwood. Ron Underwood. This is the first feature that he did. Next year, he'll after this, he will have done City Slickers, where it really was a big hit for him. 
he eventually got, <laughs> he did a couple more feature films and got he did a few big films, like Hearts yeah. and Souls, right? That yeah. was, we talked about that briefly. Uh, what episode was that? We were talking about that. That was the Bishop's oh, Wife episode. Bishop's Wife. We were talking about that. Yeah. Cause it is a ghosty episode. Cause it's a ghosty, uh, ghosty movie. Who knows? We may end up covering it again later on because Who it knows? is a sweet movie. Anyway, Eventually, he did a movie that just was too much for his career, and he got put in movie jail for a bit, and uh, eventually came back and worked television. I think that's what he's been since. He's been doing lots of television, not small yeah, he's stuff. Directing, yeah, he's directing. Yeah, I mean, look, it's funny because I, you know, I was, if you look at his TV credits, you know, you've probably seen them by accident just because of the sheer amount of things he's done, right. and on big shows, you know, shows that have been running for a long, long, long time, right. In the midst of all those TV shows that he's been doing, he we came across this as we were preparing to to go on on record. He did like five movies in a row, right? So like four or five movies in a row for Hallmark, and they're all Christmas movies, right? And he did two in one year. <laughs> he did I'm gonna bet I don't have to even see them. They probably just used the same set. <laughs> <laughs> they probably did. Just turn the camera around. They probably shot two movies simultaneously. Turn the just camera that way. Change the sweater. <laughs> Shoot it. <laughs> Again, what's funny about this movie, you know, relegated to to January dumping ground, and it, it deserved it because it did really poorly the box office, but they got it to video at the right time by summertime, I think is when it was. I think this movie, do you think this movie ended up in January because just they just didn't know what to do with it? Because, I mean, it, it, it's, a, it's, it's dude, it's, it's a lot of fun, and they spent a lot of money on this movie. They did. Yeah, well, if you think about the, okay, January dumping ground, it's not like the, it was ready in 1989, but they didn't know what to do with it. Right. Got put out when it got put out. Do you have to think about what came out in 1989 that this movie didn't fit into a summertime? Or even- Batman, Lethal Weapon 2, Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade. I mean, I could see why they pushed it six months. Those movies, I mean, it would have made probably less money in, uh, <laughs> in July of 89 than it did in January of 90, I guess. It all makes perfect sense to me now. Yeah. Alongside Kevin Bacon is... The awesome, gosh, when does Fred Ward not kick ass and stuff, dude? Dude, Fred Ward fucking was never bad in anything. Never not bad even in the anything. sequel to Tremors. Also, and this we got Michael Gross, who did actually shoot this movie simultaneously with the last season of Family Ties. Dude, this is such a funny, yeah, Michael Gross, dude, unlike any Michael Gross you'd ever seen before or no. since. Yeah. <laughs> Bert Gummer. This dude is, he, he's prepping, he's a prepper. If you, as they say in the business, he's a prepper and he's ready for Armageddon. <laughs> yeah, man. He, he's got the arsenal to, to he go with ready. It. Reba McIntyre's fun, right? Playing it. Heather, Heather Gummer, Burton Heather. This is her first, her first uh, acting role. A few years later, she'll be in Maverick as an uncredited thing, but then she'll eventually do North and Little Rascals. Eventually get a TV series that runs for 10 years. Yeah. Crazy. Right. Cause you know what? <laughs> She's a survivor. That's for you, Tom. <laughs> she played she played a survivor in her first movie, or she would have been. Well, and, it's, and it's also a line from her song. Um, I'm sure. Reba. It is. Yeah. And she also was way into the band Survivor. <laughs> she was a groupie before she became a singer. <laughs> I'm just... We, I originally talked about the fact that Survivors had two different singers, even though their biggest hit, even though everybody knows, everybody knows I the Tiger, and then uh, what was the one from Rocky High Four? on You? Now, see, High and use a new singer. That's a different yeah, singer. I know. I, I was just being a dick from the album Vital Signs. But the biggest songs that they had were ironically <laughs> I the Tiger. I the Tiger. And then and Burning Heart. Uh, Burning Heart is Rocky for. Yeah. 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 I actually might like Burning Heart more than I like I the Tiger. 
Only because I think I've heard Eye of the Tiger. Like whenever yeah. I hear it now, I just feel like I'm being sold something on TV. Well, that, and then Eye of the Tiger, if you listen to the lyrics, <laughs> they're so nonsensical. What the no. fuck? They're just, they don't make any damn sense. They really Dude, you don't. Could, you could replace the lyrics in Eye of the Tiger with the lyrics from uh, the safety dance and no one would know. <laughs> yes. Just <laughs> also Lori Holden lookalike <laughs> Finn Carter. Yeah. It's so weird sometimes watching her. I'm like, you know, it's so hard. I, I always forget until she's on screen for a little bit. I'm like, it's not Lori Holden. The only other thing I ever have seen Finn Carter in is how I got into college. Yes. Or, yeah. Right. That's it. That's it. Yeah. Cause that's it. That's it for me too. And she, if you looked up her bio, she only did like four or five movies and then she hung them up and raised the family. Dude, if you look at her IMDb headshot or the picture they have, she looks like Dee Wallace. <laughs> <Stone>. <laughs> yes. <laughs> I was like, wait, am I looking? Is this from Cujo? <laughs> yeah. You know, what's super funny about this movie is everything uh, about this movie is super it funny. Is. Like I said to you before, I'm going to say it right now before I forget. This is the best Stephen King script Stephen King didn't write. Yeah, I agree with that. That's I'm it's, with that. Dude, this is the, the setup of almost every fucking Stephen King novel, right? Yep. When you, by the way, when you watch the trailer, I went back and watched the trailer after watching the movie again, watched this for a second time in the last week. And the trailer, man, this is why the movie didn't get an audience. The trailer doesn't sell th anything well about what you end up getting with, with the movie itself. It's so, like, I, I think when people finally saw it on video, they're like going, shit, I would have seen this if I knew this was this what it was. Dude, the box, I mean, it's universal. Fucking, it's Jaws. It's the it's Jaws a, poster. Yeah, it is Jaws, and it's a Jaws movie. It is. And it's, yeah, and it's a universal movie. It's like, no, it's no accident. Yeah. I mean, you would think that they could have, they, I guess they were just afraid of those other movies during the summer. Yeah. I, I don't know. People didn't weren't willing to see Kevin Bacon in a comedic role, but the trailer really does not well, sell the comedy at all. Kevin Bacon had a kind of, I mean, I feel like he was kind of reinventing himself at this point. Like, right. Like, this is the same year as JFK. When it got roughly. released in 90. Yeah. 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 I'm just, I feel like this is Kevin Bacon, you know, turning that corner from, you know, being a teen heartthrob to like transitioning. He's great in this, man. Yep. It's, I mean, dude, everybody is in this. I mean, let's, let's finish out rounding out the cast. Yep. Cause you also get a favorite of mine. I kept telling you, hey, I can't believe uncle young is in this movie. Yeah. Victor Wong. Uh, as Walter Chang, the, one of the townspeople in uh, that meets an untimely end, but he's great as always. Tony Gennaro, who plays Miguel, is great. You know, he's a character actor. You've seen him in a ton of stuff. Yep, eighties, early nineties stuff. I think he passed away recently, but he was in The Craft. I yep. think he was in Anger Man. He was in he was in a couple of the Zorro movies, maybe just one of them. I don't know. I'd have to go back and look. But he's somebody I've seen a bunch. You know, he's just that character actor. See him and you're like, oh, I love that guy. Right. He's always solid. And you, you know, he always ends up dead. <laughs> and you're like, why can't he make it to the end of the movie? Ariana Richards, dude. It's funny because this is what, two, three years before Jurassic Park? Yep. And she's basically playing the same, <laughs> the, yeah. same the same type character. It's hard not to watch her in this and not think of Sam Neill. Yeah. Our introduction to Sam Neill in Jurassic Park out in the middle of the desert like this. Yeah. Right. But the rest of the cast is faces that you recognize, and sometimes they recognize them because they look like other people. That the movie has a lot of that. Like I noted, Finn Carter does definitely look like other people. Yeah. But this movie, it's so cool. What is it, like 17 minutes in before you see any kind of creature activity? Yeah, dude, and you're not bored. No, not at all, because it's a wonderful slow burn. It's a buddy movie. Introducing all the characters. Seriously, we, we could have easily put this in November. We could have had this a buddy cop movie without even trying. 
Yeah, because they're like they're like cops for graboids. I'll say it right now. Hey, don't watch it. Alienation. Watch this instead. Watch this instead. <laughs> the creatures in this have become so recognizable now. Dude, I, I, you know what shocked me? I mean, I'm gonna let you. I'll let you finish, but I'm gonna say this before: how good this shit still looks. Totally. There's only one moment in there that's kind of a drag, but it's 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 when they're using one of their miniature puppets and they're doing a, some kind of blue screen, green screen thing with, yep. with gross in the basement. That's yep. it, though. But the rest of the time when you're seeing the, the funny thing, when you do see that puppet work without him being projected onto it, it looks fucking rad. dude. You can't tell if it's full size or if it's nope. quarter size of what we've already seen out out in the desert. Yeah, amalgamated dynamics. This is one of the first things they did um, after they left working with Winston, Al, uh, Tom Woodruff, and, and Al Gillis, who we talked about recently with, I forget what we were talking about, what what what, what creature movie you're watching. But we all know what it, what, where it takes place in Perfection, Nevada, out in the middle of fucking nowhere, the Sierra Nevadas, right? There was a time where it's just a dumping grounds, ironically, for people looking to strike it rich with gold. During the gold rush time, these these little places were all settled in. And they do briefly mention mines in there to kind of let you know if you weren't familiar with why, why somebody would be living out in the middle of nowhere. Well, they got stuck there because of they were digging for gold back in the 1890s. Judging by all the Joshua trees and the flat rocks, it looks a lot like a lone pine. <laughs> but hey. 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 <laughs> It's okay, man. They shot a million Westerns in Lone Pine. Yes, they did. Shit. <laughs> a lot. It's probably with some of these sets, too. Yeah. Uh, speaking of sets, I mean, before we get back to the plot, this is one of those movies, everybody knows a plot of it. So I don't want to forget this because I didn't make any notes for it. It's all mental these days. But, dude, when they're on top of the general store, yeah, that that whole rig is so fucking bitch. And every time I watch this movie, it's 32 years old, and I just love how it looks every fucking time I see it. Just the way it's just, it still looks like a real rooftop. If you've been on a rooftop, it's a makeshift rooftop with rolled out. Yep. Roof tiles. It's, yeah. It's so fucking cool, man. Yeah. I, that this, the set is like, is some of the best stuff in the movie. And it really is. It's, I mean, it's not unlike us in dead silence talking about how you have all these, ah, we've seen this before. We've seen this before couple of locations, but when you get to the theater, this is like that moment in this small little town, how well they built these things. Cause they look like something left over from a ghost town that we've all like, yep. driven past when we we're driving around Vegas. Like the or Brady's when they were coming across the grand Canyon. Right. What they build with the water tower and some of the other living quarters that these people live in and the general, but the Dude, general, my favorite thing, my favorite one is the mobile home with the deck with the yes. fucking artificial turf where they start, <laughs> where they're pumping this, when they're pumping the shitter. Oh my gosh. It's such, it's so gross. And this is, that's per, part of the first 16, 17 minutes we're talking about where we don't have any monsters, but it perfectly sets up. Every single character that you're going to see in this movie has got a speaking line. You know who they are within those first 15 minutes. Like I said, like you, don't, you don't get bored by it because you've seen these stereotypical characters before, but you don't usually see them play by people like Kevin Bacon, people like Fred Ward. And that's what makes the movie so damn fun. It's written by Brent Maddock and S.S. Wilson. And I think I'm not 100% sure, but I... I don't know. It just sounds like a... Right. It sounds like the Alan Smithy, right? Or Alan Smithy. Yeah. But it's not... I mean, he directed 
at least two of the Tremors sequels. <laughs> yeah, yeah. He and he and the writing part. His, his real name is Stephen Seth Wilson, but he goes by S.S. Wilson. I just think he just had it fun. But he and Maddox broke in writing the first short circuit. I mean, he's done some smaller things, but um, this is some short films for Ron Underwood, ironically. But Short Circuit was their first feature film for John Badham. How about that? Huh. They just blew up from that with Batteries Not, <laughs> Batteries Not Included, the Short Circuit sequel. And then I keep, they actually were in bed for a little bit with Amblin because he also did uh, Land Before Time, but then got Tremors. But they also wrote Ghost Dad for Sidney Poitier. Yeah, starring Bill Cosby. And then back to Hearts and Souls for Ron Howard. For Ron Howard again. I'm, I'm obsessed with Ron Howard. <laughs> Ron Underwood. That's, that tells you what I feel about both directors. <laughs> yeah, they're interchangeable, man. Just flip off them. I don't give a shit. And they wrote Wild Wild West for Sonnenfeld, and they came back to the well, so to speak, and did Tremors 3 and 4. But in between 3 and 4, that's when they were developing a smaller series that they never developed uh, that they did very, later on with um, Kevin Bacon when he came back to reprise his role as... Val McKee, but you know, this the thing that makes this movie so fun really is the the seriousness that everybody plays in the whole movie. Yeah, they don't go, dude. They're not. They don't go tongue in cheek. It's not like you know nobody's. They're, they're they're playing it straight, which is is how you make this movie work. Right. I want I want to touch more on the creatures from ADI. Again, so iconic because again, it spawns six sequels, and they don't look. And later in the later sequels. They end up uh, mutating, and we see them with feet later on. <laughs> They're walking right. on land. And I think in the last one, they actually are in water. So they finally come full circle from being a Jaws derivative to actually being in the water. To being Jaws. To being Jaws. How about that silly shit? To being a land, from being a land shark to being a full-on, full-fledged shark. <laughs> An ampidextrous shark. Yeah. What the fuck does that mean? I don't know. <laughs> it means you can use both hands. I love that this is one of those movies that kind of sets up its ground rules as it goes, as far as the vibrations. And you don't ever go, it's never a movie that betrays its own world that it's sold you. But you get that a lot when you get these world building type movies, these first movies where they say for 15, 20, 30 minutes, like, well, here's what you need to know about this place. And now let's go forward. They don't ever waver to that. Sometimes those movies waver from them. Like you, to the point where like, all right, I'm in. And then, then they start contradicting what they say is fact and what is, and what isn't this sticks to it all the way through. And that's what makes it so damn fun. Is, is everybody playing it straight? Right. Hear the rules and you settle in. That's when you laugh so hard at the movie. Cause you're like going, it, this is one of those, definitely one of those movies that puts you in a, in that mind space of going, Hey, I wonder what this be like if I was in this situation. <laughs> what the fuck would I do? Right. That's what makes these kinds of movies more entertaining, and and it makes it because it involves the audience. That's nothing too. Why you have everyday looking people that are in this movie experiencing because it it's it's again more relatable, and I think that's why when it hit home video, it really found its legs. But would you have imagined a movie <laughs> that did support the box office would ever spawn the franchise that it spawned? I sure maybe Dude, or be or become so quotable and part of pop, you know, part of our sort of pop culture. Right when you when you drop that line from it with, with Sergio and I, I'm like, I knew it was right away. Even though I didn't know you watching the movie, I'm like, oh, <laughs> it's just I know what it means. Right. Yeah. And there's several several quotable. Yep. There's lots of quotable dialogue in this movie. But let's jump back to Finn Carter for a second. Yep. It's funny because even when I was watching it last night, really, you know, and I've seen it several times, 
the first person I thought she was for, for a moment, I was like, oh, it's Laurie. Why is Laurie Singer in this movie? Only because I was in my mind, it was Kevin Bacon, Laurie Singer. And uh, I'm looking, because she looks like a lot of different people. Like, I don't know that I would be like, that's Finn Carter. Yeah. I, like I said, she looks like, in this picture, she looks like D. Wallace Stone. <laughs> Who did you say she looked like earlier? I mean, it's a, it's a trip. Yeah, she looks like Laurie Holden from, from Walking Dead. Right. Yeah. Funny, fun and ga- it's all fun and games. It's all fun and games. <laughs> I I think what made this movie gets gets its most laughs is is there's like two main couples that you get most of your laughs from. Um, you know, it's actually obviously our lead. Um, you might as well they might as well be a married couple. They are kind of right, both Val and Earl. But it really is Reba and and Gross that really have some of the funniest moments because they're playing characters that are so against what you would think. I would you ever like at that point would I never would have expected Reba McIntyre to be brandishing herself a shotgun and right? <laughs> having like having weapon conversations with Michael Gross with with Michael Gross right right and yes it, wait hold on. Mr. Keaton can't be running around with an elephant gun shooting at fucking land sharks. What the hell's going on? What in the fuck am I watching? So, I mean, that's, and again, lots of the energy and, and humor comes from those two couples. There's some, when I was, I was like, oh, please God. I, I, <laughs> yeah, I, and I remember wanting, I remember wanting Melvin to get eaten so, so many times. Yeah. And so like, it started to become like, oh, please God, tell me, does he die? Yeah. And I know, no, he doesn't. Cause I've seen this before. He is the king of the bad one-liners in this movie. Yes. And everything that he says is not funny. No, it's Bobby Jane who's like, in this movie, he's actually listed as Bobby Jacoby. You know him from other things. He actually would come back as the same, playing the same character again in the third Tremors. Um, You know him as Seth Green's sidekick in I Can't Hardly Wait. Which is really funny because that's 10 years, like eight years after this movie. And yet here he is still playing a teenager and can't hardly wait, which I thought was really funny. Dude, I recognize his ass from bullying fucking Arnold on different strokes. Yeah. Prick. <laughs> and he's also in Iron Eagle. He's in the sequel to uh, Night of the Demons. The first Night of the Demons too, not the sequel to the remake. He's, he's like one of those guys you recognize right away. Yeah, dude, totally. And apparently... He's actually a world-class blackjack player. He plays professionally now. How about that? There you go. Yeah. He- Probably learned on movie sets as a kid. <laughs> Playing blackjack with all, yeah. the, with all the crew. Yeah, man. <laughs> Pitching quarters and all that shit. Oh, shit. Throwing the bones. Of course. <laughs> Slap that thing. Domino, motherfucker. Um, yeah. For, again, for a movie that had such, such a rough beginning in the theater to continue on and really have life on home video, ironically, because that's where it kind of had its build of resurgence. This buildup from the original was home video, was the HBOs, because that was at the tail end when HBO was, and Showtime was still reaching people the way um, DVDs eventually would, you know, as far as VHS did back in the day. But right, the fact is that it took them six years to make the first sequel. And, that, and, that's, and then you're just one year removed from DVDs. And after that, it was two and three years, 01, 04. But then he jumped the biggest jump in the whole franchise all the way to 2015 before they had Tremors 5. Right. That's a massive jump. But it, it, it's been weird because it's had two or three year gaps in between. I really wish that we would have gotten that series. Yeah, I mean, look, here, I don't know. I can't believe that. That's already been five years. That was 2018 when that whole thing was talked about and, ha- and happened. 
And, and there was, the, the, I mean, we should mention, there were two series. There was a series that did hit sci-fi. Yes. Yeah, it was very short-lived. But the, the, the series that we were talking about here is one, as I just mentioned earlier, that Kevin Bacon came back for. It was kind of like an, an elongated pilot. It was very 75, 80 minutes long. So almost on TV, 90 yeah, it's minutes. Almost, yeah, it's almost 90 minutes. I had heard a couple of people, you know, a couple of media writers that had seen it and they said this should have blown up, but it, but it came down to politics over at Universal. And if you remember at that point, I can't remember the exact year, but I do recall it being a transitional thing where there was a purging of execs and you kind of know what happens from there. And as soon after that was when the announcement that they were going to be launching Peacock and all those other streaming, yeah, uh, mm-hmm. all those other streaming services. So that definitely had an effect on everything. Right now, it's universal property. Well, I don't know why Peacock doesn't just fucking put it on the streamer. I mean, just put it out there. It's it's done. It's in the can. It has finished sound. It wasn't like a preview version. It was actually completed. Full 5.1 mix, 4K too, on top of that. So just put it out, man. I, I, I don't understand. But you know what sucks is like, I was kind of looking it up to see if there was a box set for this. And there is a box set for the movie series all the way through the 2020 release. Right. But it's only available overseas. It's not available in the United States. They're big in Belgium. <laughs> like Citizen Dick. Like Citizen Dick. I, I would have imagined that there was like a shop factory box set. In my mind, I was like, yeah, of course there is. And, but wow, that's so crazy. Because people who know this movie love this movie. I've never met anybody who's like, I fucking hate Tremors. Yeah. I mean, you can sit there and say what you want about the sequels. Because I mean, I'll be honest, man. We, there's six sequels. I've seen two of them. I've seen two. I've seen the second two and three, two and three. And I kind of stopped. And again, maybe I saw four, but I definitely didn't see anything after you had a, that decade gap. between well, they're four all and five. on Tubi. They're all on Tubi. <laughs> I think they're all on sci-fi too. Now that I think about it. Um, I, I know the, the, the original right now is definitely the only thing that's on uh, that's streaming anywhere is on Tubi. It's not streaming anywhere else right now. Yeah. These are things that we check. So as of January 5th, 2023, it's not streaming anywhere but Tubi. So hopefully it's a little bit more accessible for you. Honestly, you should be on your shelf. You should own the original. It should I mean, be. I do, but I couldn't find it. Did you really? You had to watch it on Tubi? Yeah. I did watch it on Tubi. It was okay. <laughs> it was, you know, I got to say the quality wasn't bad. The only thing that bummed me out is I wanted to fucking watch the extras. And I was like, ah, yeah, it's too too much of a drag. It was raining and shitty outside. Unfortunately, uh, since I'm in plugging the Blu-ray, you should have it. It is one of those first early on universal Blu-rays where it has that fucking terrible menu. Oh, yeah. (laughs) That menu that doesn't follow the same criteria that other menus follow, like as far as like the buttons doing the same thing. It's very um, unintuitive. That's the best way. Yes. There you go. It's like the first dude DVD. (laughs) (laughs) Dude. Yeah. The the, the charm of the movie is the cast and everybody plays it perfectly and they play off each other so well. Some of the best scenes of the movie are when they're in the general store and, and when they're all on top of the rooftops inside of when they're in actually in the town of perfection. And by knows that all the towns, like in these kinds of movies, they always have some fucked up settler names. Yeah, totally dude. Like perfection. Yeah. Desolation. I want to. I want to go ahead and say this right now. Th- this film has the most creative way I've ever seen to get an actress out of her pants. Yes, <laughs> I agree. I was like, because <laughs> when he says "take off your pants," it's just such a weird. It's like 
because you know the whole budding romance thing, and right. all I could think of was like, "Well, that's the most creative thing I think I've ever." That's probably the no no dude has ever asked her to take her pants off before. <laughs> Not like that, anyway. The other little things in there too that I want to kind of touch on right around this point, nineteen, maybe like eighty eight, and then really picked up again in ninety ninety one. This is when we were starting to see the industry and the business itself kind of turns their way, the focus where they want. They, I feel like everybody was putting out five serial killer movies a year. Right. And, and this is the beginning of that. And they kind of take a swipe at that a little bit when Val and Earl find, uh, what's the cat's name that was <laughs> buried? And they just found a severed head. And, they, and they're, they're convinced there's a serial killer on the loose. Yeah, 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 yeah. When they find is it Nestor's head? No, it's not Nestor. Well, whoever that guy is, the guy with the sheep. The oh, sheep herder. Old Fred. Old yeah. Fred. They find <laughs> all the flock, all those sheep are dead. Uh, and they find Fred's head <laughs> right, right underneath his hat. And it's like, <laughs> now for us, when we hear there's a serial killer on the loose, we all know what it is, but we kind of chuckle even more when you realize outside those two road guys. Yes. That's it. There's like, 12 You've people, seen nobody, yes. 12 people in the entire else. movie. What serial killer are they worried about that's running yes. around perfection beheading sheep herders? Yeah. Well, uh, yes, they got they got him, damn it. On top of the fact that what serial killers out like murdering sheep too? And, and then where the sheep go? Dude, they just looked like bloody cotton balls right. by the time they showed up. But it really speaks to who to the sensibilities of Val and Earl. Yes. If the conversations they were having early on about getting out of perfection didn't tell you what you need to know. Can't believe we said no to free beer. <gasps> oh, that's such a bitching line. We just we left one damn day too late. <laughs> <laughs> I love to, and we all know if you're familiar with the series, that the creatures are affectionately called grabnoids. I miss this every time I watch the movie, the original anyway, where they're trying to come up with names. Right. In the corner of the general store. I always miss it till I hear it again because I'm so used to, rec I recognize them as being called grabnoids. And they eventually say, they call it grabnoids. Uh, I think Val says it. And it's the only time you've ever heard anybody say it in the movie. Yeah. Because they don't even repeat it. No, it's, it's you don't, you don't hear in the general store when they're coming up with the name and you just hear Val say it once and then that's it. They talk, but they do say it and it seems so obvious. Like all oh, the tongues come out and they grab you and they pull you into the mouth. And then that's kind of where it sticks. Right. It's the the charm of the movie is all the little interactions, idiosyncrasies of the small town. Yeah. I mean, of the small, dude, micro town, <laughs> micro town, <It's> microscopic. <laughs> I mean, it's God, dude, it is so funny. But I, we've all driven through places like this. When Walter Chang meet, meets his demise, it's like you know how you. It's it's, I, it's really funny too, by the way, because when you see when you see this giant general store sign, it says Walter Chang's General Store. <laughs> It's so, it just reads so funny. Yes. But watching Victor Wong, he's like one of the first people to go that we see when the grab noise eats and you're like going, well, fuck. Why not the kid? Right? <laughs> Why not Melvin? Right. I don't need to hear one of my smart ass bullshit, him grabbing the, <laughs> grabbing the snake monster's tongue and pretending he's being eaten by it. Yeah. Who gives a shit? <laughs> Fucking dumb kid. I'd love Love, love Victor Wong, dude. He's and he's always kind of the same, but it's okay, man. Right? I mean, I just watched The Golden Child over Christmas break. You recognize him from being in so many things, right? But I mean, what is this? Just it's four years, right? Four years before, uh, after uh, four years before, yeah. Um, with a big trouble, right? So playing egg. I when he does that eye thing as egg and big trouble, I'm like, do you? Right. 
there's something about that, dude. There's something about it. I always thought it was just something, just a physical thing that was kind of locked into his face because I'd seen the movie so many times and you briefly see him in, in Golden Child. And ironically, dude, Shanghai Surprise. These are three movies we've talked about in the last year, which is- Dude, like Victor Wong is in the, like half, he's in if he's in half my childhood and the other half is Al Long. Yeah. So- when you when he goes in this movie, it's such a bummer. Like going, oh man, Egg Shin went fast, right? You wanted more. You wanted more, Uncle Young. Yeah, I, I've, do I always forget that Bertolucci put him in the Last Emperor? Fuck, dude. Right? Because after you see <laughs> Big Trouble, Little China, Shanghai Surprise, if you saw it, and Golden Child just a year before, and then you get to Prince of Darkness and <laughs> Last Emperor the next year, you're like, wait, what are these movies that he's in? These don't. He doesn't fit in this movies. It's like putting Booker in something serious, right? He, well, dude, you know, he's really good in Chimino's Year of the Dragon. Oh, yeah. But again, he's kind of like, you know, he's to, he's turned down a notch. Yeah. And yet after Tremors a couple of years later, he he steps into to Grandpa Amori at, in the Three Ninja series. Right. Which is super fun for any kids out there that or any family that has never seen those movies. They're seriously dated, but they're still. Do you ever think he was considered for the role of Mr. Miyagi? <laughs> you know, maybe. I mean, it, timing, right? I mean, it, I mean, I don't know. I'm, I'm sure if we re, we went down that rabbit hole and researched. It, I'm sure there's some long story of how Pat Morita came by this show. But I just was like, if it wasn't if it wasn't Pat Morita, who I mean, I was just trying to think in my mind who would it have been and. And just, you know, that was just, I'm just, do you think it was? Yeah, I ever? don't know. I don't know. Here's what's funny. Not funny, haha, but uh, of interesting trivia. He passed away the day after 9-11 in 2001. Oh, wow. Yeah. Both he and his wife, Don Rose, their sons lived in New York City. And they spent the whole day trying to find out news about their their sons, if they were, if they were unharmed, if they were in any of the buildings or nearby, any kind of thing that happened to them. And he stayed up late to watch the news and he passed on the, on September 12th, just staying up watching the news, waiting to find out about their sons. Oh, wow. Right. Not to bring it downer, but that's fucking wild. That's crazy, man. But one reason why I'm pointing out, it just sounds weird, but to hear that that happened in real life, it says so much about who we think he is. The man is when we see egg shin on screen, when you see him in this playing Walter Chang, you, he's that kind of guy like going, this is somebody I want to hang out with. Yeah, totally. This guy seems like a, like a good guy. And that little anecdote about 9-11 says so much about who we hope he is in real life. And it sounds like he really was. That's pretty cool. Yeah, man. But he's a dude that's so good in everything. He's in small movies, big movies. As we just discussed, I mean, Bertolucci's not, isn't exactly. <laughs> Last right. Emperor is not. A, wasn't he? And he's in seven years in Tibet, too. Yeah. He did a lot of really cool shit. And he was somebody that wasn't afraid to fly somewhere to make a movie. Right. And he lived in Locke, California. That, that, that should ring some bells for you. Yeah, man. I know. <laughs> I, I know exactly where it is. And that's where he and his wife lived when, when he passed. He, the last thing he did was in 98 was the last Three Ninjas movie. There you go. Anyway. There's something that needs to be rebooted. <laughs> Three Ninjas. <laughs> so, Tremors. Damn it. It's something that. If you haven't seen it in a long time, go revisit it. It is just as fun as it always has been. Dude, I was shocked because I, I want to say I probably haven't watched it in 10 years or more than 10 years, maybe. I mean, it was, it's been a while since the last time I had seen it. And like we've sort of discovered <laughs> with lots of movies <laughs> over the last couple of years, 
reviewing them, but I was shocked. At, everything really holds up. Yep. And I feel that's because again, they're not, you know, everybody was playing it straight. Dude, the wardrobe is perfect in this movie, man. Yeah. They, they made all the right choices and all the right, but what holds up is the acting, the action, the effects. Shockingly, I was like, holy shit, this is way better than I thought it was going to, you know, because, you know, you remember thing, oh, the gravel, and then them, you remember the dirt, but I mean, dude, the, the dirt, the trails come in, the close up of the dirt, like when they go under the stairs, when they're chasing them back into the saloon, they go under the raised side, the, the lumber sidewalk, right. all that stuff, it looks great, right? And we were talking recently about a ghost story and uh, what else was it that we covered where you see something that if you've never seen those movies and you get around to watching them, you're recognizing a lot of movies, the influence that that movie had on a lot of other movies that you've seen multiple times. But there is a moment like we just discussed that moment with with the rolling planks um, in front of the general store. That is a pure homage to the ending of Carpenter's The Thing. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. Yep. Because it's super still and all of a sudden it just goes, right? You know, like, like we see that the, towards the climax of the thing. Right. But this movie's more chock full of things that people kind of lifted in future movies. And, and it was a nice scene, that nice little homage. That Because you think about it, man, nobody knew what the fuck that thing was either. Right. <laughs> Absolutely. Was, it could be a grabnoid. Yeah. For all we know. That ice version. Ironically, of course, ADI, which you mentioned before, doing, that created all the, the grab noise you see in this. They were the ones that were employed to do the thing, remake, and did all those amazing prosthetic effects that we talked about that were later replaced with CG for some silly fucking reason. I want to tell you my favorite moment in this movie, <laughs> and you're going to laugh, is when Kevin Bacon and Fred Ward are running away and Fred Ward's hat flies off. Yeah. <laughs> and, he, and he grabs his face. And he never stopped. He doesn't entertain the thought of stopping. No. But it's just like, I was wondering because that looked, looked so real. It must have accidentally just come off his head. And they just were like, fucking keep going. Fuck it, keep and, going, right? You know, <laughs> because it look, it's too perfect. <laughs> if you tried to make that happen, that shit would look, it wouldn't look that good. Yep. I, I just, it was, it was something I... I don't know why it made me laugh so hard that I went after I had watched the movie. It's because it, it's in the trailer, that bit. I, I'm convinced that it was a moment that just happened. And they're like, fuck that. Just, yeah, because it's a real moment. Leave it in there. Yeah. Yeah, it looked great. It's it, it, I don't know what, but th this viewing of the movie, that was my favorite moment in the movie. The movie is chock full of moments like that. And that's what makes those kinds of moments in movies so much more entertaining, right? Is you get that, just that realism thing. Like if somebody that was a little more uptight about something, they would be like, oh, let's retake that. Let's go back to one and redo it. Right. It's such a real moment. And like, it's a great way to close the movie out. Yeah. It's fun. I mean, everything, you know, they do all the right stuff and they do all, you know, there's, to, and I like the fact that, like, you know, I think that they, when they killed Victor Wong off early on, it kind of like, the, I always knew, the only two people I knew that weren't going to die were Bacon and Fred Ward. Right. Going in. Like, when you see it for the first time. Yep. But they do a nice job of who gets it and when they get it. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and, and, yeah, and you, and you, at, by the end, you, you kind of like all the survivors, except for, you know, uh, the aforementioned Melvin. Right. So you've done it. You've done the job because you didn't want anybody to get. I mean, the the suspense is good, and oh yeah, you know, 
and the the lot the things they do, it's really fun the way they end up you know with Bert and his household bombs and the lasso and all that shit. Fun. It's just a fun and it's a smart movie and you don't have right. to think too much about it. But it doesn't insult you by being so stupid that you're like, "Fuck, I hope they all die." Right? I mean, because <laughs> right. there is that movie. Yes, there's a version of this movie that could have been that. Yeah, I agree. <laughs> could have been. <laughs> So, I mean, I'm sure if I you give me a half hour, I'll send you a list. <laughs> oh, shit. All right. Well, if you enjoy tongue-in-cheek fun and you've never seen this, God, please, just, I, I can't. And great special effects. Great special effects. Okay, you, you like your comedy and your horror mixed together, and you like to see tons of pumpkin puree being thrown about. <laughs> God damn right. <laughs> And that's something else I love, by the way. I love that they gave us something that we hadn't seen before. I'm like, this is a creature we've never seen before. Why should it be bloody? Why should it look like the same old blood that we see with everything else? Right. I love that if they did. And they and then from what I recall from the two sequels that I did see, they maintain that kind of uh, consistency between what their insides look like <laughs> with the first movie. Anyway, super fun movie. Tubi right now, if you don't own it, on, it's not sitting on your shelf, at least at this point. Yeah, go visit again or visit for the first time. If if you haven't seen it before, you're in for a treat. It's good stuff. Oh, I want to give, and this is going to probably date this at this point. I want to give a shout out to Jason Fortin who had some uh, eye surgery. I know we probably would have been better for a kickstart, but who knows when we're going to do those again. <laughs> so yeah. we hope you're, hope you're healing, buddy, and uh, all that good stuff. Yeah, man. Take care of the old host, man. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> all right. Well, socials, the same old shite uh, at Karate Pod on Letterboxd. Insta and the Twitters. And you can reach Corey on letterbox at Corey underscore Culp or Culpert97 on Insta. If you'd like to follow me, you can follow me at Rock and Roll33 at your Instagram, or you can follow me uh, at my new website, Underground Goddamn Monsters. <laughs> We've got one species on display. <laughs> Underground Goddamn Monsters. I never thought I'd see Michael Keaton say that. Well, not Michael Keaton. Michael Keaton? Papa Keaton? Yeah. I think that's his name. Uh, he always made me laugh. No, because, it's, uh, uh, what, it's... I don't uh, know. Hold on. It's Weaver? It, no. <laughs> Weaver P. Keating? Well, it's funny because it's Elise... Let's see, it's Mallory? Yeah. Alex? Yeah. Elise? Sure. Uh, what's the little girl? What's the daughter's name? Uh, the youngest one? Tina Yothers? Tina uh, uh, Okay, I'm not going to look it up. I got to... I just have to know. Steven. Stephen Keaton. Yeah, there you go. Stephen uh, Keaton. It'd be too easy if it was Michael Keaton. Yeah, right. <laughs> that would be weird. No, it wouldn't be weird to hear Michael Keaton say goddamn underground monsters. Right. It's it's weird to hear Stephen Keaton say it. Yeah. So there you go. Weird. Mm. All right. There you go, man. Again, oh eventually January dumping ground or dump. Trip to the dump. I don't even want to call this. Anyway, the other three movies we have this month are super, like, right up our, right up the alley and fit very well in this category. And just like with uh, our uh, Ghosty Ghost Month, there's a long list to pull from. And I have a feeling this might be a reoccurring thing every January. Yeah, man. Why not? It's never going to end. <laughs> no. And even if, if and even if Fairy says it's right now, post-pandemic, there is no dumping ground month anymore. Sweet. Uh, we got like about 70 years of movies. We yeah, can man. Pull from. We'll be okay. We have material for years. Anyway. Anyway.